You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, hi everybody and welcome as we continue on today in our series in the book of Romans called The Gospel is for Everyone. And first of all, let me just say it's great to be back with you. If you were here Last week, or you heard on our podcast, I was actually out in Kentucky finishing up a, a graduate studies program and glad to be, um, yeah, yeah, thank you, mostly done with that. I appreciate all the, the well wishes and congratulations. I actually have not done yet. I've got one class left, and so uh, though I walked, it was sort of fake. I mean, you hand, they hand you the thing, and you, you open it up, and it says, congratulations on drawing near to the end. <laughs> of your academic journey. So I'm not quite done. I still got one class, but that's how they get you, uh, apparently. But anyway, I also want to wish a, a happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you and all of us, and just to take a moment and pause and recognize those who have given their lives uh, in service uh, and pay the ultimate price in service of freedom in our country. So I want to uh, think about those as well who have passed on in that way. And of course, I'm always glad you're here at Mosaic, but today I'm especially glad that you're here because of some of the things that we're going to wrestle through together today. Uh, And the reason we're doing this is not just because as a church we dive into hard stuff, although we do that here. We dive into hard stuff. Nor are we wrestling through hard things just because we like it. (laughs) But the reason we're wrestling through today, what we're wrestling through today, is actually because of not one reason, but two. Because we love God, because we love people. We love God and we love people. And I'll acknowledge up front that we do both those things imperfectly. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know this. We don't always get those things right, but that is the goal. Our intent is that no matter how you walked in today, we would all be able to take a step closer to Jesus and to hear what he has to say so that we can love God and love people better. That's our goal and our intents. But before I begin, let me go ahead and do a couple of things that are important. First, for all you, you parents here, maybe you walk in and you're brand new today and you've got your, your, your young child with you through an elementary school, uh, for, or for all of our parents at large, in case you missed the email that went out this week to the church, another reason to sign up for the church email there on that um, uh, orange card, or if you missed the email that was sent to you about your kids or your teens, you should know that we're going to be tackling some PG, PG-13 rated subject matter today because... As you were told, we're talking about human sexuality. And specifically today, same-sex attraction, homosexuality, and gender identity. So for parents, I would encourage you, no matter what happens today, you have conversations with your kids because they're hearing about this at school, even if they're not hearing about it from you. But if you don't want your child in here today as we move through this, I'm just going to pray in a moment for God's help and God's grace. And I'm going to read our scripture passage, and as I do that, you can duck back and bring your child over to M kids, and you can come right back, all right? But second, let me go ahead and say that no matter who you are today, I am possibly going to say something that's going to offend you. Uh, I'm going to possibly hurt you today. I'm possibly going to say something that ruffles your feathers, or you may not hear from me, possibly something you're hoping that you're going to hear me say, and I mean that because this is such a tender subject. This is such a hard and difficult subject to discuss, and it's so easy to want to cross our arms. And defend our corner of the world in terms of our beliefs or our thoughts or our opinions. But as we talk this morning, let me just tell you, I want you to know my intent is for you to hear the heart of Jesus in all this. And I believe we all have an opportunity to hear something great and new from him today. So can I ask you a favor? All right. As we dive into this, would you consider right now taking a collective deep breath with me? Yes. 
hope that makes it on the podcast. That was really great. Uh, because I know God's heart is for us, again, to hear something that could help us love God better and love people better, regardless of whether you, where you feel you stand on some issue. So, in fact, as we begin, let me just do this quick survey today. Uh, who in here, by a show of hands, who in here has a loved one, friend or family member, who experiences same-sex attraction or who would call themselves part of the LBGTQIA plus community? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of folks, almost everybody. So then, what we're talking about today is not an issue to be solved, but it's about people to be loved. People to be loved. And a God that wants to love all of us well and have us love him back. And so in the hopes of doing this, here's how we're going to do this today. You're going to hear me talk and teach for a bit. And then I'm going to invite up my friend, Melissa Fisher. You're going to meet Melissa. Uh, She's an author. She's a speaker. She was on staff with Gateway Church across the street for a number of years. And she's got a tremendous story. She travels and speaks now and shares her story. So you're going to hear from me, hear from her. And then I'm going to come back and close this at the end. And she's going to help us see, and I hope you'll see today, how we can all have hope. When it comes to these challenging, challenging conversations. So with that in mind, let's pray. And you can pray with me. You can just say, help him, Lord. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we do ask for your help. And we ask for your grace and for your truth and for your heart and your love for people to shine through. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at our scripture reading. We've been moving through the book of Romans chapter 1, and we come now to, verses, uh, to verse 18, the very next verse here as we move through the book. Let's begin. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. What a great way to start the scripture reading, right? There it is. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Let's take another deep breath together as we go a step down further. Here we go, verse 21. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Okay, another breath. (laughs) Let's go another step further. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. One more deep breath. We're going to go one more layer down. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Amen. Now, that's tough to hear, isn't it? It's tough for me to read. And yet we should acknowledge as the church of Jesus, this is as much God's word to his people through the ages, the gospels, the Psalms or some part that we like to engage better. So the question is, though, what do we do with this, right? I mean, what do we do with this? Uh, What do we do with this passage, passages like this? Well, the first thing that I want to do with this, I want to do a couple things. The first thing I want to do 
is to apologize. I want to apologize to everyone in here, anyone who's listening to this on our podcast who experiences same-sex attraction, is in a same-sex relationship, is transgender, non-binary, struggles to feel comfortable in their gender and their own skin because the church at large owes you an apology. And so I want to say on behalf of the Capital C Church, I'm sorry. We owe you an apology for labeling you, for not seeking to understand your story. We owe you an apology for using passages like these and the other six ones as so-called clobber passages. We owe you an apology for every sermon that's ever called you an abomination. No person should ever be called that. No person should ever have to hear that. That's a misuse of that verse in Leviticus. We owe you an apology for not caring about your humanity, your heart, or or your sexuality to the point that you would even contemplate suicide as a, a teen or an adult now. We owe you an apology for not speaking up, not rebuking people who use a person like you as a curse word, a derogatory term. Or an epithet, we would never want that said about us, and yet we've tolerated things like that spoken about you. We owe you an apology for not openly affirming your humanity, not seeing you as a fellow image bearer of God. And maybe even most of all, we owe you an apology for being theologically selective and hypocritical, for permanently stopping at verse 27 like I just did. And not keeping on, keeping on in Romans 1 and Romans 2, which we'll actually do next week. So I don't think we're going to stop there. Which talks about church people, religious people, being under the weight of God's condemnation. For all the way they express sexuality in broken ways. Or, or for the ways they dishonor their parents. Or the ways they slander people. In fact, the fact that Christians don't keep reading is only further proof of why we need to clobber ourselves with these passages. And to apologize to you in the first place. So the first of all, the church at large owes you an apology. But second of all, I want to apologize. I want to apologize personally for not calling out Christians as much for their homophobia as for their racism. We do okay at the second year, working on it. Don't do as much on the first. As a pastor, it's my job to stand for truth, among other things. <laughs> And part of standing for truth is, for put, is to put, it, put homophobia, the hate of people, hating people, on the LBGTQIA plus spectrum to death. Put that kind of hate to death. Jesus was not tax collector phobic, was he? No. He wasn't adulterer phobic, was he? Not Roman centurion polytheistic servant person phobic, was he? No, he wasn't. So he's not homophobic either. But most of all, I want to apologize for not making every person from every background in here feel extravagantly welcomed and relatively safe. I say relatively safe because I don't think that anyone, gay, straight, gender secure, questioning, black, white, brown, no one should ever feel completely safe in a church because when you're following Jesus in a church, Jesus just gets all up in your business no matter who you are, and he challenges you to follow him in the tough spots and love him and love people better. And if you think Christianity should be ultimately about being safe and never challenged, please, please, please don't read the book of Acts where people bleed and die for their Savior. But you, we all should feel extravagantly welcomed here, cared about here in our community groups, in our youth ministry, children's ministry, campus ministry. And so if you don't feel welcome, you've been looked at sideways, please, please forgive me. I'm sorry. 
we owe you an apology. You should feel welcome. I do too. And no matter what someone's told you, feeling attracted toward the same sex or struggling with your gender will not send you to hell any more than someone being attracted to the opposite sex automatically sends them to heaven, right? So what do we do with Romans 1 and passages like this? Well, first of all, we owe you an apology. But second, when it comes to this passage, we have to look at it honestly. We have to wrestle with it honestly and look at it full in the face and see what it can do when it's understood in the human heart and what this passage says, and you can read it, and what every single passage in the Bible that addresses same-sex relationships say, is that without exception, same-sex, not attraction, but sexual expression is not God's design for humanity. So Paul says here, he says, it's paraphazine, it's contrary to design. And if I believe that, it's true, which I do, it would be unloving then not to say that, to teach that. And right here, uh-oh, right here is where we have a hard time, keeping love and truth together. In our culture, we say it's one or the other. Jesus was full of what? Grace and truth. Always, always, always keeps the two together. So the question is now, well, then is it loving, if this is what it says, is it loving for God to say no and ask us to stay inside some kind of boundary, relationally, sexually, physically? How can God be good? If he asks someone, not the church asking you, but the God of the Bible asking you, if you experience same-sex attraction, to say somehow no to those desires. Does he want you to be alone all your life? Or we ask, isn't this like an old rule or an old law that, that says God doesn't really expect us to follow him like that in this day and this time? Because unlike other parts of the Bible, unlike some other things and conversations that we have, when it comes to this, this conversation, all six or seven passages, which address it directly, depending on how you count them, they're all unidirectional. They all go the same way, and that's this. Every passage, including this one, underscores a larger biblical teaching that sexual, not attraction, but expression is limited to one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life. Now, you hear that, you can label me with a position, even though you would, would never want to be labeled, but that's a different conversation. You can label me, but here's what I want to say. I do want to affirm some things. We affirm every person's beautiful humanity. God made you in his image, and he loves you. We affirm people are to be welcomed and cared for right here in this church, right here in our youth ministry, right here in every single one of our community groups and campus ministry. And we affirm that what God has said in his word about sexuality is what's best for humanity that he made, even when we may not understand why. He's saying, well, do you know about this? Have you read this? Have you studied this? I want you to know, I know the counter arguments. You would think I would have before I got up here today, right? I know the voices, the Robin Scroggs. Matthew Vines, Wesley Hills, Bernadette Brutons, who say that's either not what this means or that is what this means and we should just ignore it and never, like some churches do, never ever teach the epistles again. But I want you to know, if you do that, you get rid of the epistles, you, you lose, think about what you lose. All the multi-ethnic scholarship, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians on love. Oh, think about what you lose if you throw this away. But I humbly disagree with those voices, not only with a, along with a whole host of diverse, global, multi-ethnic scholarship, but also 2,000 years of church history, which has stood in solidarity on this conversation for the last 50 or so. Now, at this point, there's a lot of theological discussion we could do with this, but the thing I want us to do is to narrow, narrow, narrow back into that question I just posed to you a moment ago. Is the, the question is, is God really good? Is God really good? If he asks us, anyone, to stay inside some kind of line in any way, 
relationally, sexually, physically. Is that good? Is there really hope for someone who wrestles with the experience of same-sex attraction? Now, to help us answer that question, look further at that, now I want to turn it over and introduce my friend Melissa Fisher, like you've, like you've heard. She's a tremendous speaker. She, she was on staff at Gateway for a number of years. Now she travels and speaks. She's a writer. She's got her book in the lobby, which I'd encourage you to go pick up a copy of. You can meet her uh, after we're done today. It's called The Way of Hope. And Melissa's going to come share her story of following Jesus through the messiness of faith, through sexuality and gender struggles, and how we can have hope even with passages like Romans 1. Would you guys all please give a warm mosaic welcome for Melissa Fisher. Good morning, Mosaic. It is so good to be with you, especially on such a lighthearted and easygoing topic. I hope to get asked back when I can speak on something a little bit more difficult. Can we do that? It is really good, though, to be with you this morning, especially as we do uh, face this very tough question that Romans 1 poses. Is God really good? And in order to look at this passage and, and look at this question, I'd love for us to look through the lens of one of my favorite verses from Psalm 1611. Where King David says about God, he says, You make known to me the path to life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Now many of you came in here this morning, and you would love to have a little bit more life in your life, right? Some of you came in here going, man, I can't remember the last time I felt joy. Some of you in here... You've been going after pleasure so hard because you're so empty. And if anyone knew around you the pleasures you'd been seeking, man, you'd be ashamed to tell them. And so the question is, is this just something for King David? Or is this something for us this morning? Is this something for me? Is this something for you? Is it true that God might really have this path that he wants me to walk down, that he wants you to walk down? And if you were to keep taking that path and putting one step in front of the other, would it really lead to more life? Would it really lead to more joy? Would it really lead to more freedom? Would it really lead to more hope? You see, I grew up from a very early age hearing about a God that had a path and that path was supposed to be good. And I thought, hey, I want some good in my life. So you know what? At the age of 13, I said, all right, Jesus, let's do this. And I started my relationship with him, got baptized, saw the path, and I didn't stop to pick up my manuscript then, but I'm going to do it now. But I set off down that path and I thought, you know what? I'm going. And as a junior high and high school kid, you know what I really thought that meant? I thought that meant being good, that I was going to be a good student, that I was going to be a great athlete, because don't I look like a great athlete? I didn't get enough amens on that. What's going on here, people? And I thought it meant dating the right way, and this carried over from high school into college, where, of course, the stakes got a little bit higher, especially around grades, because I wanted a good job and I wanted a good career, but especially around dating. Because I knew that if I dated the right Christian guy, that I could have the right Christian marriage, which would produce the right Christian kids, which would give me the right Christian dog and the right Christian everything else that I thought that I wanted that was going to be on that path. And some of you in here, you've been going after goals, but like me, you've kind of hit some roadblocks that there's something 
or some things that have gotten in your way. And for me, as I was pursuing those goals down that path, the things that got in my way, they were feelings. You see, I really struggled with this just kind of weight around my neck, this feeling of abandonment. After my parents divorced, when I was seven and my dad kind of took off after that and I didn't have a relationship with him and I didn't know why that I wasn't worth sticking around for. And my dad wasn't there, but you know what? My stepdad was. And so I had this deep-seated feeling of anger inside of me because I didn't want my stepdad around. I didn't like him at all. I wanted my real father. And I also struggled with this feeling of sadness because after the divorce, my mom was sad all the time. She really struggled with depression, and I was sad about her sad. And then I also struggled with this feeling of insecurity, of confusion. Because when I looked at other girls out there, when I looked at other women, I didn't feel the same. I didn't know how to do my hair. I didn't really know how to put on makeup. I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know how to talk to boys. I just felt so different that, that I surely must be different. I didn't feel comfortable in my skin. And then this one feeling showed up as I was walking down that path, this one feeling I really didn't know what to do with. You see, when I was around this one friend, I started having this feeling of same-sex attraction. And back then, the landscape was totally different. Same-sex marriage wasn't legal. No one talked about it. That everyone that I saw on the path, they were trying to be the good girl, the good guy, do it right. They seemed to be doing it right. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll just do it a little better. Maybe the fear that I had, I'm just going to wrap and I'm going to mask with perfection. And some of you understand this storyline that as you've been trying to do this church thing, you've been trying to do this perfection in such a way that you could kind of hide everything else going on in your life. And some of you in here are recovering perfectionists and you get what I'm saying, right? Everybody else. Someone nod them. Yes, you too, right? That we oftentimes can get in church and we can hear that God has the path and, and all of a sudden on Sunday morning I'm supposed to be perfect so no one else can see what's going on. But the problem with being perfect is you can only be perfect so long and then something breaks and fractures and everybody else starts to see and actually you start to see the junk underneath. And for me, this moment of breaking happened when I was 26 and some things blew up in my family and I got so angry at my mom and I said, you know what, mom, I'm done. And I didn't talk to my mom for two years. And this trying to be the good girl, this relationship with God, this path, God, that you want me to walk on, I'm done. I tried everything so I thought and I just kind of really felt God abandoned by you so I'm done with your path. My feelings, if I'm not going to follow your path, I'm going to make my own. And I let my feelings start to dictate and pull me where I thought I wanted to go. Which is what Paul is talking about here in Romans 1, especially 20 through 23, that there's this knowledge that we can have in the core of our soul that screams loud alongside nature that God is good and there is a path, walk on it. But we can take that truth and we can shove it down. And we can let one single feeling start to pull us 
in a direction and down a path that we think we want to go. And so the insecure feeling about being feminine, might as well not feel it. I'm going to let my feelings instead pull me in a direction and I'm going to change how I look, change how I walk, change like how I talked. And 10 years ago, if you would have seen me, I would have been dressed and looked like a boy. Even to the point where I was considering sexual reassignment surgery. And the feeling of same-sex attraction, wherever it went, because it lurks down low sometimes, I followed it. And I jumped from one relationship to another relationship until I found that one that I thought, you know what, she's going to make me happy. And again, same-sex marriage wasn't legal at that point, so I thought, you know what, let's go to Canada, let's do it there, and we did. And oftentimes what we see happen is that God has this thing for us. He has this sexuality, and he says, hey, I want to give you this thing. It's going to be good for you because isn't sex great? That's an awkward one to cheer for in church, isn't it? (laughs) Y'all are like, hmm, what do we do here? All right. I've never used that line. We'll see if we can use it again. (laughs) Some people are like, amen, you go, sister. All right. But God says, hey, I have this gift for you, and I want you to walk down this path, and I want you to use it in one special way. I want you to hold it, and I want you to wait, and I don't want you to touch it until that moment. And when you do, you're going to experience something so good. But what happens when your feelings, they want to take this, and they want something different? What happens when your feelings... Instead of just waiting or instead of just kind of having it pure and good, what happens when they want to pour in a little bit of same-sex attraction? What happens when your feelings say, you know what, yeah, look at that pornography? What happens when your feelings say, hey, that adultery? Or what if when your feelings say, you know what, don't even risk, don't get hurt again, just shut your sexuality down altogether. So what do I do when what I start to crave is something different? Now I can step outside these walls, I can turn on the TV, and what does TV, media, and the world say? What are our students, what are you hearing in school, some of you in your workplaces, what are you hearing being said about this? You go girl, you be true to you, do it right, drink up, right? But let me ask you, if you love me, do you want me to drink this right now? Please say no. (laughs) No. Why? Because it's not how God intended. There is a purity and a goodness in something that I need that is completely lost. And so what happens when when my feelings and people around me say, go ahead, drink up? Mm-hmm. A- a- amen. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Somebody asked last service, did you really drink that? Yeah, I really did. But yet the message can be so clear from the world, drink up. And so is it loving for God to say, hey, sweetheart, put that down. Let's come back. Let's talk because I have something so much more for you. Are we bad? Is God bad when he says, no, I want you to have the real thing? 
And here's the thing, the real thing isn't heterosexuality. The real thing is holiness. That when I drink this, it's a counterfeit. And you still thirst. And for me, in that marriage that lasted six years, I found myself still wanting, still miserable, still stuck with all this. And in fact, it took a toll and the marriage ended and I found myself actually for the first time kind of getting kicked out of my community, my friend circle, and I found myself all alone. Which was the first time that I really had the opportunity to kind of look at my feelings, look at the path that I had been walking down and go, hmm, maybe I was wrong. And I looked back at that path that God had and I kind of looked back at him and I thought, Maybe I wasn't just wrong about that. Maybe I'm wrong about him. And so I took this moment in my brokenness and in my train-wrecked life to sit with him and start to have a real conversation about everything that I was really carrying, everything that was really going on. And some of you, I know it has been so long since you've sat here and tried to have a conversation with him. But what's amazing is he really does have a path to life that as I sat with him and I started to go, you know what, I can't stop feeling this. And there is nothing more hopeless when you feel something that you don't want. But it was the first moment that I kind of said, can you please do something with this? And he said, I can. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start going to church. Now, I don't know if you know, but what is church filled with? Church people, right? I mean, not some of you. It's those people across the street at Gateway. Um, But that next step that he gave me was to go to church and to be in a community that would just love me where I was at. And then I started to talk about some other things that were going on, some other feelings And he said, you know what, what if you go to counseling? And we started to talk more, and he gave me another step. What if you go into a community group? And he gave me more steps and more steps, till 10 years later, I am now here, and I am not who I was. And some of you, it has been so long, or it has been so many steps, and you are so close to giving up on your breakthrough. That as Beth talked about, you've been marching around that wall of Jericho and you are this close to that thing happening that you've been wanting. And God is saying this morning, keep hoping. You are one step away or maybe a few steps away from the life, the hope, the freedom that you want, the sexuality that you want, the relationships. And those steps are usually always hard. And sometimes you do get tired of the circling of the walking But if there's anything that I can say here this morning, the most loving thing that God could ever do was walk me away from this towards him and back to the truth. That if you want to love people well, love them and have truth. They are both together as one. To where I am today, I'll be honest with you, this isn't really attractive to me anymore. And some of you in here, you've, you've never struggled sexually. But instead, you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum that maybe the thing that you want to salt, maybe you struggle with greed. Or maybe overworking and you haven't had a Sabbath day in who knows how long. Or maybe the thing that 
is hard for you to step away from on that path is maybe it's Oreo cookies. No Oreo cookie fans in here. Okay. Are y'all like Girl Scout Thin Mint kind? Tagalongs? What do y'all like? Everyone say it. Samoans. Okay, we'll pray for you. Um, But if I'm honest, on this path to life, the thing that I most struggle with now is staying away from gluttony and food and using it. That that's where I am in my journey. That my feelings always want to pull me off the path that Satan always wants to convince me to go off the path when God is saying, hey, what if you pause and what if you pivot back to the truth that I am not done yet? I am a Lord and a Jesus who breaks chains. I bring freedom. I bring hope that there isn't anything in this room that this morning he can't do. And so this morning you're going to have the opportunity that like Joshua marching around Jericho, you can march back up front and maybe again through prayer have a conversation and get some more hope. Maybe it is you need to march over to a friend, to a neighbor, to one of the pastors and say, I need to talk about the pleasures, the false pleasures I've been drinking from. And so in a moment as Pastor Morgan comes up to wrap up our discussion, I want you to know that this is a discussion that is just beginning Because it is always a discussion of more, always a discussion of hope. That if he can change me, he can change anyone. That there isn't anything that this morning that he doesn't want to do. So the question is, would you just be open and maybe go, God, today, would you give me my next step? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your, your vulnerability and your bravery. And um, well, I don't think Melissa would say certainly that her experience is everyone's, right? She would say that God can enter into everyone's experience, no matter what it is and, and where they are. So let me begin just to do a few things here as we begin to close and wrap up. Let me just, of course, begin to close by acknowledging this conversation is very complex, isn't it? It just is. We couldn't get to all the theology today. can't answer all the questions. So we want, what we want to do in taking another step in this is invite you all back here on a Friday night, this Friday night from 6.30 to 8. I imagine it's going to be full, so you may want to get here early. 6.30 to 8, we're going to have a Q&A with Melissa and me on stage here, text questions in, and take another step and have some more dialogue about that. So I'd love to for, have you here for that. Let me just now, in closing, let me give you, I think it's seven ways here that we can apply Romans 1. And what you've heard today, seven ways for Mosaic Church to move forward with this. And much of this is taken from a book that I respect very much. If you, should, you should all get it, as far as I'm concerned, every person should read it. It's called People to be Loved by Preston Sprinkle, and uh, there's a few things here he points out. I want to encourage those uh, of you out here to, to consider these today. Number one, here's what we need to do as a community. We all need to repent. That's the point of Romans 1. All humanity needs to acknowledge God as creator and Lord and life giver and redeemer. We all need to repent for not loving God in some way, and therefore, number two, we need a community to walk it out in, and we want to cu- cultivate a community where people with same-sex attraction can talk about it. I know there are lots of people in this room who experience this. Some of you are even married. It's a person of the opposite sex. So what if you feel this? People experience a lot of stuff in here, right? If we can't talk about it and know that the person across the table isn't going to look at you funny, 
I mean, that's a, that's a tough place to begin, isn't it? No, we want to cultivate a community where we can talk about it. And for any of you who are, who are young people, your teens, do you experience this? I promise you, Wendell Williams, our youth pastor, is a tremendous person, a very, very safe person to talk with about this. Number three is a cult- culture and a community. Here we want to put homophobia to death, as we've said. We don't hate anybody. I hope our church is full of people from all kind of backgrounds who feel all kind of different things in different ways over and over and over again. Number four, we need to think deeply about the complexities of same-sex attraction. What that looks like is this. That looks like having a posture towards, any, towards this that is truth-based and not fear-based. Truth-based means I'm willing to hear another person's experience, how they feel, what's going on inside of them. And it means that we wrestle with the truth of what's in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And until we as a people and you as a person, you haven't wrestled through both, we're not going to be able to have an answer that really, really, really helps people. It's redemptive and constructive and transformative. Number five, I want to promote biblical standards, not cultural standards, of masculinity and femininity. Now, this is complicated, but here's what biblical masculinity and femininity is not. It's not stuffing everyone into a one-size-fits-all standard, like American jock locker room standard for men. Or a Barbie doll, crazy measurement, unrealistic thing like, how does she even breathe standards, you know, uh, of femininity. Whether you you love being indoors or you're outdoors, you love sports, you hate sports, you can fix stuff or you can't like me. Let me tell you, you can serve Jesus and be masculine. And whether you got long hair, you got short hair, you got no hair, you you work a job like a a boss or you're at home like a mom boss or somehow you do both of those like some of you do, you can worship Jesus, follow him and be feminine with grace and wisdom as you do that. Number six, we need to have a better theology of singleness as a church. We increasingly need to tell our singles they don't need a spouse to be complete. You don't need that to be complete or to be whole or be a, a somebody. Listen, it's a bit of a rant with me. This is such a uh, this is so anti-gospel. It's it's astounding the Christianity found in the scriptures. It puts an end to that kind of thinking. If you read it rightly, if you're single, let me tell you, and you're serving Jesus and you want to get married, great. Believe God for that spouse. That's amazing. Do that. But you're not less or you're a second-class citizen if that's not in your life. And if you are a married person here, I want to talk to you for a second. It's like that you've forgotten how hard it is to be noticed in church by everybody else when you're single. If you're married with kids, especially, you've got all kind of opportunities to bump into people over there, over there. You got all like some of you got six t- chances, seven chances, eight chances with your kids to be noticed with people, right? But if you're single, it's not so easy. Let's do better. Notice one another. And finally, number seven, and most of all. Let's remember God is holy. It's holy. I'll close today with this lengthy quote from Preston Sprinkle's book. I'm going to read through this with you. I hope you'll <clears throat> give an ear to it. Here's how it goes. The church needs to realize homosexuality is about people. We need to persistently humanize the topic and look into the faces of real people with real stories. But loving our neighbors can be done without loving God first. So let us never forget our God is holy. We serve a creator who is holy and just. He's transcendent and near, who touched Mount Sinai and set it ablaze, who spoke to Isaiah and crumpled him to his knees, who commissioned Satan to rip apart Job's life without telling him why. And we serve a Savior who suffered, born in a feeding trough and nailed to a tree and calls us to a life of joy and suffering, a life stitched together with the fabric pain and pleasure, faith and fear, happiness 
and the horror of picking up our own crosses and being nailed to them. As Jesus said, whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. God never promised to answer all our questions or make us happy on earth. Sometimes faithfulness leads to happiness. Sometimes faithfulness leads to death. What God promises through it all is that when our earthly life whispers out of existence, we will all be raised anew with unbound joy in the new creation. And only then will God's word match our experience and all our suffering, pain, confusion, and doubt will fade into eternal bliss. And until we acknowledge and delight in the holy otherness of God, we will always have a distorted view of homosexuality. And if the God of Isaiah and Job actually does prohibit homosexual relations... And it is neither wise nor safe to edit out those commands because they seem archaic, unloving, or at odds with our experience. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.